Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Kenyan Wall Street Podcast. I am your host Eric Jackson. Today's discussion I think we'll start by looking at the social and societal impacts of AI and just how AIs are changing the social aspect of human life and interactions. I know we briefly touched on this uh, and you gave us a good example about how some of the home automation systems like Alexa and the likes do not really need people to be polite to them, you know, and that's one way in which AIs are changing the fabrics of society. So I think I'll just like us to pick up from there and just ask what you see as being some of the impacts of AI, especially on society and human life. Thank you very much, Eric. I think what's very interesting when we think about the impact of artificial intelligence on our lives is actually how much has already changed or in many instances for the better and in some instances, you know, with some challenging outcomes. But we are so close to this that I think a lot of the time we almost can't see it. It's almost happening in such proximity to us that it's really hard for us to take a step back and ask ourselves, you know, how that impact is changing. And a good example is when you think about the difference between being a school child today, regardless of whether you're a school child in the developed world or in the developing world, you're going to potentially be exchanging information, looking things up, working using technologies which allow you to access an extraordinary volume of content and material. When I started primary school, you know, however many, hundreds of years ago that was, you know, we went to a place called a library and it had books in it, right? And that's where you got your information from and your ability to access information was constrained by the physical number of books that were in that library and, you know, the choices that the librarian had made about what, what books to make available to you. Now, if you want to find information, you don't go to a physical library or perhaps you still do, but on top of that, you go to the internet and you have this almost limitless supply of information and we have been using artificial intelligences to help us cope with that sheer limitless supply of information for almost as long as the internet's been up and running. Because it is artificial intelligences in our search engines, in our content filtering systems, in the filtering capabilities, the recommendation engines that advertise to us. Those are all artificial intelligences. Those are algorithmic processes that make choices for us or which we use as tools to help us manage what would otherwise be an unmanageable supply of information to us. Yeah. But I don't think we think about that as being the impact of artificial intelligence on society a lot of the time. I don't think unless we you know, reach a point where we are concerned about whether the messages we receive, for example, over social media are biased and are directing us towards, you know, very limited understanding of the world or are presenting fake news to us or are manipulating images and, you know, presenting things that are not true to us. Unless we start engaging with those questions, we don't really think about the scale to which artificial intelligence has changed our lives. When I think about the places where I think artificial intelligence will have the biggest impacts, both in terms of positive and potentially negative impacts, it is in the trade-off between the improvements in accuracy, safety, and the scale and speed of decision-making around data that can come from deploying artificial intelligences in settings like uh, radiography, for example, in understanding medical images, in looking for new drug combinations, in understanding how to make autonomous safety critical decisions, for example, in autonomous vehicles, faster than any human being could ever make that decision, so that we save lives, so that we find diseases faster, 
so that we're able to come up with more and safer materials to use in physical products. So there's lots of spaces where artificial intelligence is, will have an extraordinarily positive impact on our lives and frankly are already having that impact on our lives. We would not have been able to move so far, so fast in terms of vaccine development for COVID-19 without algorithmic support for those programs of activity. Yeah. So absolutely, there's a hugely positive line there, but there's also a line where I think the impact of artificial intelligence on society can be read as more negatively. And a lot of people here talk about the potential for the loss of jobs from automation of processes. I don't actually think the problem is in the loss of jobs because most of the evidence suggests that there will be many more jobs created from the development of artificial intelligence capabilities than will be lost, but they will be created in different sectors. I think the potential negative impact here is actually about a loss of agency. So I think the problem is not that we will run out of jobs for people to do. It's that by using artificial intelligences without thinking about it, we actually abstract ourselves as human beings away from thinking about the choices that we're making. And that bothers me because human beings are actually really, really good at making certain forms of decisions. So in complex experiential contexts, for example, in recognizing people's faces or in working with the nuance of language or indeed in the kind of combination of left and right brain capability that leads to real creativity. Human beings are extraordinarily good at those things in a way that artificial intelligences simply are not and are very unlikely to be over certainly my lifetime and arguably the lifetime of my children as well. And those are some of the things that make us human. You know, being able to experience different cultures, being able to learn new languages, being able to spend time with each other as social animals. And even though we come from different backgrounds to share and to have common cause with each other, those are things that make us human. Yeah. And so losing those is a really, really big problem. So the thing I'm worried about is that we give up our agency to artificial intelligences. We step back from being responsible, from being ethical, from thinking about the choices that we're making. I'm worried about that, but I'm not worried that the robots are going to steal our jobs because the reality is we are a uniquely innovative species, mm -hmm. humans. We will come up with lots of more interesting things for us to do. And I'm really excited about what that opportunity is, but I want us to be thoughtful about retaining agency in our world. And that's what I think matters to me when we think about how humans and artificial intelligences align with each other. Awesome. And um, I think you've touched on technology and humans losing that agency to artificial intelligences. And I think I want to ask you an interesting question then. So how do we then attain or move towards a truly intelligent, artificial intelligence machine, given that, as you have mentioned, AIs are being used at the moment already in, let's say, like for the COVID vaccine, in areas to improve just decision-making in data and all different areas. And we need to get to a point whereby machines can be able to actually attain unsupervised learning and be able to have predictive analysis so that, uh, let's say, in case of another pandemic, we can be able to actually use AI to catch it early enough and then come up with sort of solutions that can be used to tackle it before it gets to a global pandemic. Then how do we move towards building that really intelligent AI? I think my honest answer is that, as I say, in my lifetime and in the lifetime of my children, and probably actually in the lifetime of my grandchildren, 
I am not convinced we will see a fully intelligent, generalist artificial intelligence. And I'm not worried that we won't see that because in some ways I don't want one. So to maintain that degree of human agency, what we need to create is the capacity to augment human intelligence with artificial intelligence and indeed to augment artificial intelligence with human intelligence. So we need to become symbiotic. Mm -hmm. We need to create a world in which which artificial intelligences and human intelligences work collaboratively together. I don't think we should be trying to create a world in which humans can simply delegate all decision-making, all agency and all control to artificial intelligences, because I think that would impoverish us. I think we would be less as human beings if we did such a thing. So uh, the honest truth from my perspective is we need to get better at learning how to work symbiotically with artificial intelligences. And that means that we all need to understand questions of how data works. What does bias in data look like? What does working with data ethically mean? How do we understand distributed ethics? What does it mean to have artificial intelligences working with us in safety critical contexts? We need to explore those questions as human beings so that we can create frameworks, so that we can create the kinds of spaces where we can develop that symbiotic relationship between human intelligences and artificial intelligences. And we need to be really, really considerate about how we do that from a global perspective, because it is not acceptable that that symbiotic relationship is only evolving in the developing world, is only evolving in the developed world, is only evolving in one world. You know, it has to be across the whole world, because otherwise we will codify the things that are already unfair in our world into the future world we're building. So we have to be thoughtful about how we do this everywhere. And as far as we can, we challenge the biases that are already inherent in our world to make sure we don't code them into the world we're building. Yeah, maybe just a follow-up question then. Is there organizations or frameworks that are currently already in place or being developed to ensure that we actually have that symbiotic relationship between humans and AIs rather than, as you mentioned, moving to a place where we delegate all the decision-making to AIs? So there's some really good work. Um, I particularly want to cite the work that UNESCO are leading around developing ethical AI frameworks. So they are in consultation at the moment that, you know, UNESCO working, you know, across a global footprint for the world is trying to understand how to take forward guidelines and frameworks that we can all sign up to that will help us to understand how to work with AIs in a way which, you know, preserves fairness, which is ethically well-designed and acceptable. They are hopefully going to be publishing their frameworks and models towards the end of 2021, but I'd encourage decision makers at senior levels across the continent of, of Africa certainly to be actively participating in that work and make sure that the things that are important and being learned in the African continent, particularly around Africa's response to emerging technologies and how that's impacting the populations of the countries of Africa, um, feed into that UNESCO process because I think that's a really important way of us identifying how collectively across the world we want to move forward with these technologies. There are also um, initiatives at country level um, there are and at regional level so the European Union has initiatives obviously there are initiatives across the African continent as well that you know there are a number of different programs and then even at a corporate level, there are initiatives. Rolls-Royce obviously has been involved in looking at trustworthy AIs in safety critical settings, which you know is a framework which has global potential, particularly interested in that question of how 
artificial intelligence's work in safety critical settings, but but also applicable to to other industrial use cases too. Uh, and many of the technology organisations um, uh, have been focused on how to work with AIs in their particular sector. I'm thinking here of some of the work that's gone forward with the AI for Good program and looking at how artificial intelligences are used in healthcare as well. So I think there are lots of initiatives out there, but I'd certainly call out that UNESCO approach as being one that is pulling together the ideas and thoughts and responses um, on behalf of a global community. Earlier, in, I think in the first episode, we also talked about the Emergent Alliance at Rolls-Royce, which you obviously lead. So maybe you could also just highlight the work that you are doing. Yes, certainly. I mean, the Emergent Alliance is a data sharing collaboration specifically focused originally on the response to COVID-19 and how by bringing together commercial and public sector organizations that wouldn't generally work alongside each other or might not generally be able to share their data with each other and by applying data analytics techniques, data science techniques, artificial intelligence techniques to those data sets, how could we collectively as that group try to reduce the impact of the recession that is coming, that we're in now, that's happening as a response to COVID-19. So that group, we're very focused on economic recovery. Clearly, there is a direct causal relationship between the spread of the virus and the degree to which we are exposed to infection, and then the knock-on effect that has on our economic behaviours and the way that we engage in economic activity. Um, So the Emergent Alliance looks at epidemiological studies and it looks at understanding the risk of infection when you undertake different sorts of activities like traveling on a train or going on a plane or going into work or being in close proximity to others or looks at different regions of the world and different sub-regions of the world and understands the risk and how that varies between those regions of the world but it's looking at that really to help us understand how do we stimulate economic recovery how do we help support those regions or those industries or those sectors of our economy which are the most negatively impacted by the constraints we've had to place on ourselves to lessen our risk of infection how do we support those how do we help get them back to you know more effective economic performance and also what the impact on people is so we are very interested and beginning to look now at risks outside of just a covid risk so What's the impact on mental health of, you know, effectively locking down whole communities for multiple months of 2020? And how does that effect on mental health have a knock-on effect then into the economy? So is a detrimental impact on mental health, meaning that people can't go back into work and they can't become economically active again? So the Emergent Alliance is a global organisation. We have participants from four continents sharing data um, there are about 60 corporate members who are you know, fully signed up members of the Alliance and we have over 250 data citizens, data science citizens working on the, a range of those challenges that I've just described there. We'd be very excited and pleased to have more representation in the Emergent Alliance from the African continent. It's probably one of the areas that is not as strongly represented as we would like. Uh, We have good representation from India, um, some representation from Asia and Australasia, obviously a big contingent from Europe and some representation from the Americas as well. But we'd certainly like more involvement from organizations and companies and participants across the African continent. So for anyone who wants to get involved, uh, please do reach out. The website is www.emergentalliance.org. And for me, I think as the founder of the Emergent Alliance, in the context of our conversations about AI, 
Yeah. When I talk about us needing to get more comfortable with working with data and more comfortable with working with artificial intelligences to understand how to create that symbiosis, that's what the Emergent Alliance is, in some ways is for. It's a space, the collaborative environment in which you know, people can practice being 21st century symbiotic human AI intelligences. They can practice that experience of what it means to think about the world and take actions that are informed by data that, you know, we are only in now in this 21st century in the very lucky position of being able to get hold of and to work with and to use to help us make better decisions. And so it's, that's what it is. It's that space to practice being 21st century people uh, and making decisions in new ways. Yeah, that's very awesome. And uh, hopefully more organizations in the African continent would, will join the Emergent Alliance so that, you know, we get the perspective and the problems that are facing Africa. Because as you know, as you're looking at the economic recovery of the societies or the communities after the COVID, and I think like the informal sector in Africa has been one of the most affected. So it will actually mm -hmm. be a good thing if we get more organizations from the African continent joining the Alliance. And I think I'm also looking forward to the ethical framework you mentioned from UNESCO. Yes. That should be coming out at the end of 2021. So I think that would be something interesting to also look at. Mm, definitely. And we hope that Rolls-Royce's work around AI ethics and safety critical settings will, you know, help to contribute into UNESCO's thinking. We've certainly started some conversations with them sharing our work and we made the commitment back in September that we would publish our work as a public good, as an open source resource. We're about to do that in the next few weeks. And so we're hoping that by doing that, by publishing that framework itself as a publicly available resource, it will be able to make a contribution you know, into the work that UNESCO are doing, but also into some of the other frameworks and developments around the world, looking at how we can improve the resilience of our artificial intelligences, improve the safety and trustworthiness of them, and improve our ability to understand against you know, a robust ethical framework the choices that we are making in terms of the deployments of AIs that we choose to have alongside us in this relationship I've talked about. Yeah, and I think we've now looked at a global viewpoint uh, about what is happening especially across the different organizations. But really at the core of it all, it's about also building human resource and getting more people into AI and data science. And I think that again, especially key for the context of Africa and even Kenya in specific. So maybe from your own experience, how do we build that human resource and get more people into AI and, and... Yeah, I mean, it's part of that developing those muscles, if you like, developing those skills to be these, these 21st century citizens, these citizens of the world. From the perspective of Rolls-Royce, um, my team in R Square Data Labs is responsible for leading Rolls-Royce's digital transformation. And that we do through a team who've been developing our digital academy over the last three or four years. And really that's about helping a heritage organization that's been around for a hundred years or so to develop the new digital skills it needs to be effective in the 21st century. And the team who lead that digital cultural transformation, they work not only to help coach technical skills out, so data science skills, data handling skills, you know, thinking about engineering data, thinking about, you know, how you code you know, R and Python and data visualization techniques and, uh, and user experience and design thinking and all those sorts of things. They, of course, they train those technical skills out to our population. But actually, a lot of the work they do is about mindset and about how do you move yourself into a different space 
a different mindset which allows you to understand an agile approach, an approach that learns from error and mistake and actually is very iterative, an approach that is entrepreneurial, that is very, very fast moving, that takes managed risks quickly and comes to rapid conclusions about how to move on. And so it's in that mindset transformation, I think, that certainly as a large corporate organization, Rolls-Royce is seeing a lot of benefit from that. Earlier this year, partly in response to the COVID-19 pandemic in the UK, which we recognized was going to have a, you know, a negative impact on quite a lot of people whose industries were affected, where there was economic downturn, and that might mean that they might be made redundant. So earlier this year, we actually launched our Digital Academy curriculum in to the public. So it's now consumable, not only if you are a Rolls-Royce employee, but if you're just a general member of the public. Yeah. So you can come into the Rolls-Royce website and, and click through to our Digital Academy pages, and you can sign up for our content, you know, as anybody. And we've seen a wonderful uptake. So in the six months since we went live, we've seen more than 25,000 people just from the general public mm-hmm. consume that curriculum and start to engage with some of that both the mindset skills and some of the technical skills that we support. Uh, we have a number of partners helping us with content and those experiences. So on top of the kind of 75 or 76,000 hours of coaching that we have delivered to the Rolls-Royce population this year, we've also, as I said, supported 25,000 members of the general public with helping to improve their skills. And I think that's a great thing to be able to do. I think it will help with the general success of economy as we look at the recovery from the challenges we face today. Yeah, I think that's a very, very interesting. I had no idea about the Digital Academy being open to the public, so I think I will also have a look and see what resources I can get out of there, because I think that's very, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely do. If you fancy learning a bit of Python or working on Agile methodology or indeed learn about the IoT, all of those things are up there. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. So I think maybe just as we wrap up, um, we've seen AI now being fused with other emerging technologies like 5G and especially the Internet of Things. So how will the expected rollout of 5G supercharge AI adoption, especially since now we are seeing a lot of the IoT devices now, uh, you know, they're coming being AI enabled. So uh, do you see a sort of like an increase in the adoption uh, given that more countries are adopting 5G across the globe? Um, I'm very excited about the possibilities 5G creates for doing more AI processing at the edge because 5G creates the potential for local software-defined networks to operate. Potentially, you create a world in which much more of your processing can happen at the edge without it all having to be referred back into a central data store. So I'm I'm genuinely fascinated at that. Uh, It raises a bunch of questions which I'm a bit nervous about with regards to cybersecurity, but I am very excited about the potential for having AIs deployed and processing at the edge of networks rather than being constrained to only being processing in the middle, because I think it will mean we have greater responsiveness and we have greater opportunity for autonomy, particularly in contexts like autonomous vehicles in that sort of framework. So I'm very excited about the potential, I'm a little bit worried about the cybersecurity implications. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, as you've mentioned, it actually presents a very great opportunity because then processing is done. It's not centralized, it's more of decentralized processing, and which actually helps in faster decision making for the AIs. Yeah, certainly most cybersecurity or most data security analysts would tell you that distributed processing, so processing in multiple places around a network, it creates less risk from a cyber attack taking a whole network down. 
But the problem is when the edge point that you're working at is in a safety critical process, mm -hmm. if your edge point gets infiltrated, it doesn't really matter that your central database is still robust if your edge point has been infiltrated and it's, you know, it's a car, right? So I am both excited and also, as I say, a little bit nervous, but that's okay. That's, that's the standard state for being a 21st century citizen, I think, to be excited about the potential and also a little bit nervous. If we weren't all there, then I would be more worried. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. But one thing that you've mentioned a couple of times in today's episode is being a 21st century citizen. So maybe if you could just wrap it up in facing what a 25th century citizen is and what we should be doing and looking out for. So I think the essential qualities of a 21st century citizen are curiosity and kindness. I genuinely think those are the two things we all need to practice more of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you very much. I think that brings us to the end of the episode and the series. Thank you very much for your time. I have really enjoyed and learned so much about AI. Thank you so much, Eric. I've greatly enjoyed doing these podcasts with you. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you very much.